listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Glad to be here. We're glad you are here. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know we're studying the book of Daniel. If by chance you've never been here with us before, my name's Kevin Clark. I pastor Oasis Church. Hope you got a connection card when you came in the door. Make sure you fill that out and uh, give that to us on the way out as you go out that door. And we've got a, a gift we'd like to trade you that card for something that we'd like for you to take home and remember your time with us and as a catalyst to remind you that every opportunity you have on Sunday morning at 1030 ish, we'd love for you to be back here because we do this every week of the year. If you have your Bible, Daniel chapter 8. If you weren't already confused to the heavens last week in Daniel chapter 7, and I know some of y'all faithfully follow the notes on, uh, on our Oasis Church app. If you don't have the app and you'd like to get it, there's some papers right back on that back wall that you can scan the QR code, download it, or you can pull one of the pages and take it home with you. It'll allow you to download our app that has a connection to our notes. But if you were following the notes last week, you can tell folks around, he don't always follow those notes, and last week I cut out a bunch of them. So, you know, it's a it's a helpful tool for you, but really will frustrate you if you're the kind that likes me to stick with them because I just don't. But also, uh, I don't remind y'all enough of this, but also on that paper and on that wall back there is a way for every family to have access to a, to a tool that we pay for every month because we want you to have access to it. It is called Right Now Media. Right Now Media is an app that you can download to your phone, your tablet, you can watch it on your computer, and, and it's uh, available for most of the streaming devices, and it has hundreds and hundreds of video Bible studies. It's got videos for your kids. It's the Veggie Tales type thing, but it's biblically based. And if you're not using Right Now Media in your study, man, you're missing out on a benefit, and we're wasting money. So make sure that you get Right Now Media and utilize that. The teachers are great, and I think you'll be blessed as a result. Daniel chapter 8. We're calling this this morning, Rams, Goats, Horns, and us? Question mark. You see, you hear that how I went up and us? That's a question mark. Rams, goats, horns. Oh my, no, and us? So how does this that we're about to read apply to us? Well, well no, let's dig in together. Let's look at Daniel chapter 8. Remembering, Daniel chapter 1 through 5 is, uh, I'm sorry, one through six is narrative. With one little exception, we see uh, Nebuchadnezzar having a couple of dreams and Daniel interprets a couple of dreams, Nebuchadnezzar being the king of Babylon. But for the most part, Daniel 1 through 6 is made up of narrative. It's a story, and we're seeing how God has provided and shown favor to those of his people in captivity who were determined to continue following after the Lord. God showed them favor, and, and he demonstrated his faithfulness in some pretty spectacular ways. So if you weren't here for all of those studies, if all of those sermons, we've got it on Facebook, we've got it on YouTube. You can go back and catch it up on our church page on YouTube. Hear those. Those are the fun things about Daniel. 
And you get to Daniel chapter 7, which probably is the most important chapter in the whole book because it's the most quoted of all the chapters in the New Testament. There's so much in Daniel chapter 7 that has links to the book of Revelation, the book of Matthew, the book of uh, uh, 1st 2nd Thessalonians, and there's all kinds of tie-ins about end times because Daniel chapter 7 shows us this big panorama of how it is all going to come to a conclusion. At least that's what we tried to present last week. And hopefully at the end of the day, if you missed all of who in the world are these beasts and these horns and what are they doing? At the end of last week, hopefully you walked out of here remembering that God is enthroned. He's always been in control. And when it comes time to finish what he started, it's going to be at the hand of one like a son of man who we know to be the risen Christ who's going to bring it to a conclusion just like he had always intended. You remember? Okay, we're getting excited, right? That's all I really want you to remember, all those other beasts. Scratch your head. We only think we know what we know. Daniel chapter 8. The second vision of Daniel. If that one wasn't fun enough, where do you get a load of this? Daniel chapter 8. Let's look first at the setting of Daniel's vision. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. This is the second vision after the first one I had. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ule Canal. So let's talk about the setting. What is the setting of this vision? Well, this setting is two years after his first vision, which was in 553 B.C. Let's see if you know how to add the B.C.'s. Two years later would be what, B.C.? 551, right? Because the B.C. numbers go backwards as they're advancing. So two years later, after the first vision in 553 B.C., Daniel has a second vision. The first vision, January chapter 7, says it was in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. Belshazzar was a son of a son-in-law of King Nebuchadnezzar, we think. And Belshazzar was ruling in the place of his father, Nabonidus, who was off campus in another location. This is the third year of Belshazzar's rule, and it is 12 years before the events of Daniel chapter 6 unfold, which, if you'll remember, is when the Persians come in and take over Babylon. So, we're in the Babylonian reign. And Belshazzar is the king regent, and we're 12 years, remo- or 12 years from the invasion of another 
uh, another kingdom. And so this is where Daniel is at in history. Now, physically, we believe that Daniel is actually in the city of Babylon. There's some debate about that, but it just, the way you're going to read it, you're going to go, yeah, it seems like Daniel is seeing this vision while he is located physically in the city of Babylon. But what he sees in the vision, it's kind of like when you dream a dream, you know, so like in your dream, you're somewhere, maybe I'm alone in this, but a lot of times when I dream that I'm somewhere, I know where the somewhere is. Like I might know that it was the church I grew up in, but the scenery is never the church that I grew up in, though I think that's where, am I alone in that ever happened to y'all? Okay. What Daniel saw was actually the city of Susa. Babylon is located in modern-day Iraq. If you move 200 miles due east of Iraq, in modern Iraq, you'll find in modern Iran the city called Susa. Susa was the historical capital city of the Elamite Empire, the Elamite Kingdom. And it was ultimately going to become the winter capital of the Persian Empire. So Susa may or may not be a place that Daniel had ever visited, but when he came to the place of writing this vision, he then realized, hey, I know where I'm at now. Oh, I know where that canal is. So he's in Susa, and he's looking within the citadel or the fortress, the main part of the city where the royals would live. And what he's looking at is this thing called the Ule Canal. It is a man-made canal that connects two major rivers flowing through the city or close to the city of Susa. So that That's where Daniel is located. That's what he's looking at. Interestingly enough, in about 80 years from the time Daniel sees this vision, a young woman that you might know by the name of Esther is actually going to become queen and live in this city of Susa. And then about 107 years after the events of Daniel, a gentleman by the name of Nehemiah is going to write. And his beginning of his writing is actually going to begin in the city of Susa. So Daniel's setting up the scene. This is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm envisioning. Now let's look at the content of the vision. Let's look at what all he's going to see. And I'm just going to tell you up front, we're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read it all the way to the end. Let's see the whole vision. Let's hear what all of it has to say. And then we'll go back and we'll talk about what Daniel saw. Verse 3, I raised my eyes and saw and behold a ram, male sheep, standing on the bank of the canal. And it had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. The higher one came up last, and I saw the ram charging westward, northward, and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did, this ram, he did as he pleased and became Great. So a ram with two horns, one taller than the other, the taller one coming after the shorter one, and he's going westward, which, just so y'all know, for, for, for the guy standing up here, 
When I go wet, I know that I'm pointing east as far as I'm standing. I'm trying to help y'all see because I'm hoping that's west for y'all, right? And northward and south. This ram had its way and was conquering whatever he wanted, and he became great. Let's keep going. As I considered this ram, behold, a male goat came from the west so where this ram is, is going and having dominion, Daniel sees a goat coming from that direction toward the ram. He came across, west, across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. One of two things is happening. Either this goat is Scooby-Doo boogieing, okay? Either he's just boogieing or he's a flying goat, okay? So either way, it's a vision. You just never know what God's going to show you to make the point he's trying to make. So this goat was traveling so fast. And look, I love this. I love what it says next. It took, and I, it dawned on me just this morning what this goat is. Look at this. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He's a unigoat. He's a unicorn goat. This is awesome. Daniel's having this spectacular dream of a unigoat and a ram with one horn bigger than the other. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him uh, in his powerful wrath. So on the, on the social media right now, there's a reel out there of this little boy. Maybe you've seen him. And he's got a little goat in his, in his house. And the little boy's wearing a football helmet. And him and that little goat are going at it. You know, they're going, bang, they're headbutting it. And it's funny. And I showed it to my wife. And she said, what's going to happen when he takes that helmet off and that goat gets a hold? Okay. But y'all have seen the rams go at one another, right? Okay. So the unigoat and the ram are seeing one another. And the unigoat runs at the ram with all its powerful wrath. And I saw him, verse 7, come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him. And he, the goat, cast him, the ram, down to the ground and trampled on him. There was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. So the ram became great and had its way. The goat became exceedingly great. This goat was way more powerful, even though he might not have been thought to be all that much more powerful. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Oh, no. The unihorn has been broken off the goat. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns. Now, I hope what you're doing is going, wait a minute. We've heard about horns before, and the number four sounds familiar to what we were talking about. I hope that's sending off signals in your brain. Four conspicuous horns came toward the, went up toward the four winds of heaven. Verse 9. Out of one of them, the horns, how many of them are? Four. Out of one of them, a little horn, bing, 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 bing. Wait a minute. We heard about a little horn with a mouth and eyes last week. That weird thing. A little horn 
came out of one of the four and grew exceedingly great. So the goat became exceedingly great, and then the unihorn was lopped off, and four horns came up, and a small horn came out of one of them, and he became exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the hosts of heaven, and some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It, the little horn, became great, even as great as the prince of hosts. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, or it was taken away by him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. Whose sanctuary? The prince of hosts. The prince of hosts' sanctuary was overthrown. And his burnt offerings were taken by this little horn. And the hosts were given over to it, the goat, or to the horn, together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, or possibly to bring about transgression. And it, the little horn, will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, How long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? Seems Daniel is seeing some angelic beings And he recounts their conversation. One holy one looks at another and says, How long do you reckon this is going to last? This dominion of the little horn. This stopping of the regular burnt offerings. This being trampled under the foot. How long do you suppose this is going to last? And one of the hosts turned not to the other holy one, but to Daniel said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Confused yet? A little bit? A little bit confused? You're in good company. Okay, let's keep going. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. Of course you did. And behold... There stood before me one having the appearance of man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ule. Between the banks. Between the banks is going to put him where? In the canal. Strange. You would think he would just sink, right? Things don't operate like that in the vision. This one like a man standing on the water in the canal spoke and called out to Gabriel. We've heard of him. Where have we heard of him? Luke chapter 1. This dude, this dude's old. This dude's been around a while. Gabriel shows up all the way in Daniel and then centuries later he shows up and talks to a young woman by the name of Mary. See, y'all paid attention in Sunday school. Also showed a vision to her betrothed, whose name was 
Joseph, Gabriel, you were back then too. He said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Gabriel, the voice said, Gabriel, help Daniel understand what he's seeing. So he, the Holy One, the angel, came near to where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Let that hang. The vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. It's like he was so overwhelmed with the words from this angel Gabriel that he just fainted and face planted right in front of him. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Oh, wow. The thing that never happens in these things is all of a sudden happening. God never tells us who these people are. Now he's identifying them by now. Okay, let me write this down. The goat with the two horns are the Medes and the Persians. And the goat is the king of Greece. Now we're getting somewhere. Now I'm understanding this stuff. Keep on coming. He says, and the great horn, the unihorn, between the eyes of is the first king. On the goat is Greece, the first king. Okay, first king. As for the horn that was broken in the place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation. It's Greece. What do we know about Greece? Keep going. But not with his power. This, this, these four horns are going to come up and take the place of the unihorn. And they're going to have the kingdom authority but they're not going to have his power. It's going to be a little less than it was when he was the flying goat with the one horn. Verse 23. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise... His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. Let that sink into you. We're hearing some new terminology. By his cunning, verse 25, he, this little horn of the interpretation, shall make deceit prosper. He's going to make lies prosper under his hand. 
And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. Wow. Listen to this. And he shall be broken. All that that he's doing. All that havoc that he's wreaking. All that stuff that he's doing and causing fear and deceit. What's going to happen? He's going to be broke. He's going to be moved right out of the way. But by no human hands. Wait a minute. Daniel 7 talked about a court and a throne with wheels and fire and one like a son of man. Do, do you reckon, Pastor Kevin? Could be. Verse 26. The vision of the evenings and mornings that have been told is true, Gabriel says. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Verse number 27 says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. This vision absolutely overwhelmed him. It made him physically maybe emotionally ill, and he was down for a few days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, listen to these last words, and did not understand it. I got any amens on that? I did not understand it. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Neither do we. But you know what? The, the angel explains some things to Daniel that we can pinpoint. So let's go back and let's consider the contents that he saw and then that were interpreted before him. First, the ram with the two horns, one large, one small, is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, corresponding with the bear of Daniel chapter 7. Remember the bear with one side up and three bones in its mouth and stomping and stamping? Okay, the Medes and the Persians, then we go, that's definitely the bear as best we can tell. Then we see the unigoat is the kingdom of Greece. The goat with one horn defeats the ram. The kingdom of Greece was corresponded to in Daniel 7. The leopard with four heads and four wings. Remember, the leopard was really getting after it. This goat was really getting after it. Why? Because it was so fast. And it's the kingdom of Greece. And who was the kingdom of Greece fast under? The unihorn, whose name was Alexander the... Yeah. Who in three years conquered all of the Persian Empire. The Greeks that were distinctively a smaller army. But because of Alexander's military genius, in three years they stomped out the kingdom that had been ruling for over 200 years. That little goat came in and cleaned house. The goat, the kingdom of Greece. The great horn, Alexander 
the great. You say, what about Pastor Graham? It said the first king. Alexander wasn't the first king of Greece. And you're right. But can I say, he was the first king that mattered. Right? There were those that came before him. But I'm sure somebody in Michael Jordan's family also played basketball. But does that matter? Not at all. Why? Because Michael Jordan is the modern goat. Okay, so Alex, you got it. You get it. Alexander the Great, the first king, first among the many most important. What are these four horns that come up after the first? Alexander the Great only uh, ruled for 12 years, died at the age of 32. Many think because of poisoning either through a member of his family or his revolting soldiers. Soldiers who revolted, who were also revolting. Because out of, uh, out of Alexander came four generals fighting for control, and over about 20 years it was solidified. Alexander's Greek kingdom became a kingdom of about four major provinces. So that's pretty simple enough. Josephus, in the Antiquities of the Jews, Josephus was a Jewish historian. He had been taken captive by the Romans and embraced Roman, uh, 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 Roman life and, and was allowed to, 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 to be and to, to write. And he wrote the Antiquities in about 97 AD. It's one of the most, uh, one of the most complete extra-biblical accounts of the Jewish history, and he talks about Alexander coming in. And if we have time at the end, I want to show you a cool little thing that I learned out of Josephus, but only if we got time. Then we see the contents, this little horn. This little horn comes up out of one of the four horns. This one is not clearly identified by the angelic interpreter. He only talks about what the horn is going to do and how the horn is going to meet its destruction. So we don't hear who this person is, so we must assume that that was intentionally left mysterious. But that's the contents of the vision. What are some of the uncertainties that we want to talk about? Okay, what, what's this? What's that? Well, let's just talk about it. First, when he talked about the, the little horn having success in the north and the south and the, or, and the north and the south and then toward the glorious land, what, what is that that he's talking about? I think he's talking about this glorious land being the nation of Israel, the land of promise, or possibly just the city of Jerusalem. So it leads us to believe that this little horn heading toward Israel, heading toward the, 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 the glorious land, is going to have a beef against the people of Israel, or at least a conquest. We see these hosts and stars that are going to come down and be subject. Most interpreters believe that that's referring to, again, the people of Israel who were going to be numbered with the stars of heaven, the hosts of God's people to be brought down and trampled under. We say, okay, what about the holy ones, angels? What about the one having the appearance of a man? The answer to that is we don't know. 
But I like to think it was someone of more importance than the holy ones. Someone more important than the named angel of which there are only three, two of them faithful to God and one of them unfaithful. You got Gabriel and Michael and Lucifer. But this one speaking seems to have authority to command this important angel. And it looks a whole lot like he's standing on top of the water. So I don't know about y'all, but I just like to think that is indeed the Son of Man who is responsible for the vision and requiring the interpretation. But we're not sure. What about the Prince of Hosts? The Prince of Princes? I believe that to be one in the self-same. I believe that to be the one who represents the God of the temple from which they worship. I think he's the one that represents the God that gave the ordinances. I think this one, the prince of hosts and princes, I think he too is the representative in the mind of the little horn, the Messiah, the Son of Man. So I think, but we don't know. Who is this little horn? What do you think? Well, I can tell you what I think. I can tell you what I think because folks a lot smarter than me have been studying this in correlation to other books of the Bible, and I can just tell you where I land. So you can look with me. It's 1133. Y'all all all know that I'm not going to be done by 1145, so we're just going to concede that, right? There is no way that I can tell you all that it could be this, it could be that, it could be these, it could be those. Because I got like five pages worth of that in my notebook. I can't tell you that. But if you're interested in this, I will point you to some works that will blow your mind and you would just engulf you in study. I'm going to tell you what I think based on our theological statement, based on what we believe in this church. And, you know, at the end of the day, this seems like it weighs more than the other options. So this is what we're going with, but it's left a mystery. Who's this little horn? Is he different than the little horn of chapter 7? And I say... Yes and no. Why do you say yes and no? Because I think the little horn, when he's referring to him in verses 9 through 12, I believe that he's referring to an actual historical person in Daniel's future, but in our past. And I think when the interpreter begins to tell and describe this little horn, that he uses the example that is going to come as a prototype from verses number 13, 14, 23 to 25 to talk about one who is going to come in the future, which I think is more representative of the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. Are you confused yet? Me too. Who's the little horn in this? I think he is a new character in the historical record that we have. And I think he is representative of the same one we saw in the previous chapter. That is to come not in between us and Daniel, but in between us and Christ's return. That's what I think. Well, who's this first one? I think this first one is a person who came 350 years after Daniel. Alexander, let me back up. Persians come in in Daniel's history. Persians take over Babylon. 
Daniel, along with the Babylonians, go into uh, ownership of the Persians. Daniel lives for a little while and dies under Persian rule. Uh, folks like Nehemiah and Esther come through that Persian time. And, and then there comes a point where a Persian king by the name of Cyrus gives the Jews a, an edict, an opportunity to go back home. And they do go back home under the leadership of someone by the name of Zerubbabel and then ultimately Nehemiah and then ultimately Ezra. When they get back home, what do they do? They first build the foundation of the temple and then they build the altar of the temple and then they build the walls and the structure of the temple. And so now we can restore worship. Nehemiah comes after the temple's been built. Now we've got to build the walls of the city. For about 200 years, the Persians were in control. Then Alexander comes in and within three years takes over the Persians. And then 12 years later, Alexander dies. Or not quite 12, about nine years later, Alexander dies. And then the four kingdoms begin and they have king after king after king after king. And they're split the kings in the middle on the east, eastern side of the, of the, uh, of the Greek uh, kingdom were called the Seleucid kings. The eighth king of the Seleucids was known as Antiochus IV. Say that name with me. Antiochus IV. Antiochus was so thrilled with himself, he gave himself a last name. That last name is Epiphanes. You know what Epiphanes means? It basically means jazz hands. It means spectacular. It means look at me because I'm so great. He thought himself great and he hated the Jews. Really, he didn't hate the Jews so much. He hated some of his own people in the south, and he hated the Romans. And the Jews were like the dog that was in the way when he'd get beat up by his own people or he'd get beat up by the Romans. He'd look around and say, where are the Jews at? I need somebody to kick. And that's what Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, did to the Jews in between the years of 175 and 164 B.C. You say, Pastor Kevin, how do you know all that? Well, there are some books that aren't Scripture, but they were written in the intertestamental period between the Old and the New Testament. And those books aren't Scripture, but some of them are historical. We call them the Apocrypha. Pastor, are you preaching from the Apocrypha? No, I'm not. But I tell you what I am doing. I am referencing something like I would C.S. Lewis. Anybody got a problem with C.S. Lewis? No way, Pastor Kevin. You tell us what C.S. Lewis says any day. Right, that ain't Scripture neither, but it's helpful. So in the book of 1 Maccabees, not Scripture, but a historical record of the events that happened under the rulership and evil wickedness of Antiochus IV Epiphanes, we learn about the way that he kicked them and stomped them and killed thousands of them over his time as ruler. And he stopped, he forbade them to worship God. Wait a minute. That's, wait, the, what's that? The, and the regular burnt offerings were taken away from them? Yeah. He said, no more. I hate you people. 
I hate your God. I hate the way you worship him. I hate the way you love him. No more worshiping for you. No more sacrifices for you. No more obeying God's law. In fact, round up all the scrolls of God's law and burn them. And anybody found with a scroll gets burned themselves. And I'm going to show you guys exactly whose boss he marches into the rebuilt temple. Because they built it back. And in the walls of the city that were built back, Ezra and Nehemiah, he walks into the temple, knocks all of the stuff down, tears down all the tapestries, and lays a pig on the altar of God's temple. And sacrificed a pig on the altar that was set apart for Yahweh in worship of Zeus. And the Jewish people were horrified. Because there was no more unclean animal than the pig. Aren't we glad the Old Testament law is no longer standing because barbecue sure is good. But at that time, a transgression, an abomination that brought about what? Desolation in our people. So what do I think? I think what Daniel was seeing is a prototype of one to come about 350 years later in Antiochus Epiphanes. They say, well, wait a minute, what, what happened to him? Well, he, he, got, he got bowed up to by some folks within the Jewish community who, who married their nationalistic fervor and their religious zeal, and they put those two together. You say, Man, that sounds like another bunch of folks of people that like to take nationalism and marry it with religion and call it Christianity. Y'all know who we, we, they are. And so these ones decided we're going to stand up, and they did. They revolted. Guerrilla warfare led by a fella named Judah called the Hammer. And he led them into some pretty spectacular battles against Antiochus. And then Antiochus dies according to history. By a mysterious disease, not at the hands of any human, but some dysentery that he got. And then next thing you know, he's dead. Who do I think this little hornet? I think in the first half, he's talking about a dude that was in Daniel's future, but in our past. But I think when we get to the interpretation... When Gabriel starts saying this is this and this is this, I think he's referring to someone in our future. You know why? Because it says right here in verse number 17, Understand, O man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Bing, bing, bing. Ooh. You think it's possible that Gabriel using the type is now talking about the one to come. Would he do that? You remember a passage in Isaiah that says, uh, tell King Hezekiah the sign that I'm going to show him is, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You, you know what that sign was about? It was about a warring army that was right outside the gates. Hezekiah needed a sign today from God. And God said, if you translate Isaiah 7, a virgin, a young woman who's never had a baby, is going to have a baby, and they're going to call him Emmanuel. 
Hey, King, did you hear about Judy? She had a baby. They named him Emmanuel. What? First baby? Okay, God's sign is complete. But what do we find out in Matthew? A virgin shall conceive. It's not going to be a young woman that just has a baby. No, this is going to be a young woman who hadn't had no baby, ain't got no husband, ain't been in any circumstance to be having no baby, and God's going to bring about a miraculous fulfillment to one that happened. In part. God does this kind of stuff all the time. See what I'm doing here? Now think about what I could be doing here. And we get into the interpretation. 17, end time. 19, uh, time of the end. Verse 23, uh, the latter end. So I think that this one in the interpretation is talking about like this Antiochus that came and brought about destruction. There's going to be one that's going to come and he's going to bring about severe persecution. And did you notice what it said? That he will destroy mighty men in verse 4. And the people who are the saints. The Old Testament people of Israel are called the people of God. Who are called the saints? The redeemed ones. The, the ones who have been redeemed, whether Jew or Greek, Gentile. So who do you think this little horn is in the second? I think it's Antichrist. I think it is the abomination that brings about desolation. You know why I think that? Because in Matthew chapter number 24 and verse number 15, this is fun, y'all. You guys are going to like this. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, they say to him, Hey, Jesus, when's the end going to come about? When are you going to bring about the kingdom that's promised your Messiah? When's it going to be over? And when do we get to march along with you? Jesus says, Not for you to know. In fact, Nobody knows except the Father himself. But when you see the abomination that brings desolation, know that wheels are a-turning. You say, why is that important, Pastor Kevin? Because Antiochus Epiphanes was way back there as far as Jesus' history is concerned. And he's talking about somebody who's going to come down there. You say, is he talking about the Antichrist? Yeah. And John, in 1 John chapter number 2, verse 18 says, you know that Antichrist is coming, and there have been many Antichrists, and there will. Folks like Nero. Folks like Domitian. Folks like Hitler. Folks like we haven't even seen yet. What do you see in them? I see destruction, uh-huh, and you ain't seen it nearly like it's coming. What is Jesus saying? What is the angel saying? I think near and far. Y'all watching your notes, and you know what I'm about to say. I got to quit. So much more I want to tell you. But here's the bottom line. After his time, what are the 2,300 days? Man, I don't know, and there's no sense in wasting time on that. But it's a period of time that this one is going to rule, whether it's him or him. When he comes to the end of that rule, what do we know for sure? We know for sure that after that time, he is finished. Why? Because the court is going to judge, and the Son of Man is going to rule. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. 
Then I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many crowns, many diadems. And he has a name that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the, say it with me, the Word of God who put on flesh and dwelt among us, was crucified in our place and for our sin, was buried according to the Scripture, and rose again on the third day and was seen by many at one time and by the 12. And last, Paul says, by me, that's the one who's coming back. The one like a son of man. And that would be a great place for a woo! Okay. Microphone helped me out. But that, anyway, the son, he coming. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. I like white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings Lord of Lords this one's going to do what he's going to do until God says enough son go get your bride and then it's over and then what God had always planned is going to come about. Y'all all know when I do that, Eugene comes up, that means I'm done. <laughs> what are our responses? Number one, it's okay to be confused about things in Scripture that are intentionally shrouded in mystery. Daniel didn't understand? We don't understand. But we can tie things together and we can hang our hats on the things we do understand. And that is, if I go away, prepare a place for you, I will come again. We can hang on our hat or hang our hat on the fact that in this world, y'all, you're gonna face tribulation. They're gonna hate you. It's gonna be hard. You know why? Because they hate me. But fear not. I've overcome the world. And guess what? Even if they kill you, I'm just going to raise you up. Because I'm coming back. I'm going to bring this thing to order like it's always been intended. It's okay not to understand what is intentionally mysterious, but it does not give us an excuse not to dig and dig and study and wrestle and run references and ask questions and read books and have theological debates. No excuses. We got we to gotta get in that. We got to get in that river. Get wet with it. But it's okay not to understand it. Why? Because Christians serve the one who knows what it all means. And through him, all earthly authorities will rise and fall according to His will. Number three, it's okay to be troubled by what you see around you. It's troubling. It's heartbreaking. And that's okay. It's okay for you to be troubled when you read in the Scripture things that are still to come about. Made Daniel sick for seven days, several days. It's okay to be troubled. But, number four, remember this. 
What did Daniel say? I was laid out for a little while. I was troubled about that. But then I got up and continued on in the king's business. You got to remember if you're a follower of Jesus, Christians have a right now responsibility to be about our king's business. Troubled? Sure. Fearful? Not a day. Why? Because he is Lord. He reigns right now because he's in, he's in charge and that's never changed. And one of these days, what he's always going to know is going to be visible to you and me. Amen? So the ram, the goats, the horns, and us, yeah. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep following him obediently. Let the mountains fall. Stand firm in what we know to be true. And his name is Christ. Stand with me if you will. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. Maybe it is that you came today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. It's, it's, it's a matter as simple as just admitting that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And that salvation is only available in the death and res resurrection of Jesus. And that it can only be received by faith. And to everyone who trusts in faith, they can become sons of God. Why? Because that's the gospel. God loves you. Gave his son in your place and for your sin. And raised him from the dead to prove that that is sufficient enough for all who come by faith. Don't leave home or don't leave here for home without Christ. If we can tell you more about it, we'd love to do it. Christian, stand firm, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because he's coming back and we want to be busy when he gets here. So, Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. Send us out confused, yes, but confident in one thing. And let that thing be you. Let that thing be your word and the fulfillment of it just exactly how you intended. And may we with courage, not arrogance, may we with boldness proclaim our hope in you and you alone to any who will listen. We love you and we thank you. First in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.